we want to start on lesson one uh, concerning the tabernacle of God in the wilderness. And I mentioned to Shirley, uh, I said this lesson is so overwhelming because there are so many venues and there are so many uh, attributes that you want to get into it and there's, it's just so immense you don't know where to start, so uh, bear with me. But uh, you're looking on the screen at a picture of the tabernacle. Uh, it's called the tabernacle and it was built in the wilderness. It wasn't built in Egypt and it wasn't built in the promised land. It was built in between the two places. But in Romans chapter 1, verse number 20, the word of the Lord declares in the New Testament, we're studying an Old Testament typology, which is the tabernacle. But in the New Testament, in Romans 1 and 20, the Word of God declares, For the invisible things of Him that from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And to put that into my way of thinking, uh, what he is expressing here, as many of us have learned, is we can look at the creation of nature, we can look at the beauty and the pattern and the eloquence of everything that God has made and we can begin to recognize the love, the grace, and the power of the Creator. And the reason I'm giving you this verse, it will come clear in just a moment, but right now those of you that are in this congregation are able to view a picture on the screen of the tabernacle. And so what God is telling you is, if you will meditate on this thing, the, the visible thing, that God can begin to share with you things that he has hidden in this picture. Uh, it's like he hides things in plain sight. So why do we want to study this Old Testament tabernacle when we are all living uh, 3,500 years later? What relevance does it have to my marriage? What relevance does it have to my walk? Well, I think you'll see that it has relevance to everything. And in proving that, we need to realize that whenever we look at the Word of God, the book of Genesis is seen as the book of beginnings. The book of Exodus is the book of redemption. And when we look at God's Word, when we look at the Bible, the 66 books, and he starts out with the book of beginnings, as he should, uh, we see where God describes the creation of the heavens and the planet Earth in just two chapters. Just two little chapters of very few words God describes where we live, which is this blue planet, and then the heavens above us. And when you begin to recognize the fact that there is no way that anyone has the intelligence to cover everything created in just as few words as God has, but it's going to point to something even more cleverly disguised than that, and that is, as we study the tabernacle plan, it, God takes 43 consecutive chapters in the book of Exodus, not to mention the other chapters in the New Testament and references to. So as a student of God and someone that is hungry to know the Word, you should immediately understand, and this is my thinking, that God is 20 times more interested in you understanding about the tabernacle than He is about you, the creation of the earth. And if I go a little deeper, and that's what these lessons are for, is to stretch some of us, then on another level, I would understand that God is not as interested in where you began as you finding out about His redemption. And so as we look at this tabernacle, it is, and I am here to share with you, I've been studying it for 30 years, 
It is an unending mystery. It is something that you can come back to year in and year out, and you will see new pictures. You will gain new, fresh knowledge. It will restore your soul. In Exodus chapter 29, verses 42 and 43, the word of the Lord says, This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak there unto you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Now, we're going to get into, for those of you that do not know what it is, we're going to get into typology. And as we look at this tabernacle plan, as I've already mentioned, obviously God's wisdom is screaming, study this. When you think about this is actually a blueprint given to man by God that he spends 20 times more telling us about than he does the creation of man, the animal kingdom, the universe. 20 times more about this one little postage stamp area and the house that's going to be there. And I am coming to you in the book of Exodus now, chapter 29, and I read verse 42 and 43. And I want you to notice that he is giving them now, they are about to enter into a, a, a different relationship with God. For those of you that have studied, you know that in the book of Genesis, we have what we call our patriarchs of faith. We have Adam, of course, who uh, lost. Then we have, of course, Abraham. We have Noah. Uh, we have Enoch. But we do not ever have a place in the book of beginnings where God, after the fall of man, is allowing all of humanity an opportunity to come back into restoration and back into fellowship and more importantly into God's house, into the Father's house. So it is with this tabernacle that God gives us the instructions on how to build, how to maintain it and the services of it. It is a typology of what he desires for us for now and forever and it is his plan uh, of the Christian as well as Christ as well as the church as well as our way to approach him in the city that he dwells in. So the blueprint of the tabernacle and its services, they're the pattern for God's plan of man's salvation. And as I already mentioned, uh, Exodus is the book of redemption, and it is in this book and with this pattern of the tabernacle that allows you and I to come boldly before the throne of grace. And so if you have not picked up on it or not, you may not have recognized the importance until you hear this teaching, but to God it's of utmost importance because it is him expressing his love to you that he has made a way that you can come to his house. And never had he done that before in the Bible. I also want you to notice as we read Exodus chapter 29 verses 42 and 43, the main purpose, and there's going to be so many purposes, but I'm going to say one of the main purposes, the probably most important purpose of God giving us this tabernacle plan was that he could dwell amongst us and that he would meet with us. But I want you to notice as he uh, gives Moses the plan about the tabernacle that he says I want you to bring a burnt offering this is what Christ was he was a Olah he was a totally consumed offering nothing left he gave everything throughout your generation and at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation I will meet with you and speak with you Jesus is what he says I am the door and what did God do with Christ. He met with us there. He spoke with us there. And he is the sacrifice. So as I just salt your appetite a little bit, 
to get you to recognize the types, the shadows, the patterns that God is hidden within these 43 chapters before we even go beyond these 43 consecutive chapters. You may see many things that in 30 years I've not seen, and please share them with me, and I'll add them to my uh, lessons. So, God sent his deliverance of the children of Israel through a man with blood. That is how he got them to the tabernacle. If you'll remember, he uses a man. Now, those of you that have been around long enough, you understand that what we teach and what we see is God could have chosen many and a sundry different stories to have placed in the Word of God. He by no means has put everything that happened since creation in the Bible. Therefore, he selectively chose what pictures or what word snapshots to put in his, in his Word. And therefore, when we understand the Word is eternal, that it has thus far lasted us for, since its writing, about 3,500 years, and heaven and earth will pass away, but his word shall remain forever, not one jot, not one tittle, then we understand, I use the terminology and I don't even understand it, uh, it may not even fit, I use the, the terminology God is playing 3D chess, and that is because as he chose which pictures, which word studies, which stories to place in his word, they are true, but they would be able to be used throughout all eternity, have a meaning for then, have a meaning for now, and have a meaning in our future. Now let me give you a base scripture for that. Who is Jesus? He is the Word of God incarnate. And if my memory recalls, he says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, which shows us what I've just said about the Word. So there would be no way that God could use His Word to have a relevance uh, 3,500 years ago and a relevance today in the information age we live in if He wasn't the mind of the universe that could hide within each of these pictures something that if you desire to know Him, He could reveal to you and it would hold to the pattern that He gave to Moses while He was on the mountain. So a portion of this pattern that I am trying to share with you now is the fact that whenever his children were in Egyptian bondage, God sent a man named Moses. And you need to understand, as you look at the plan of God, the importance that he places on a man. Because this lesson is not just about God dwelling with us, it's about God dwelling in us and us becoming his man. And so what we see is he sent this deliverer, a man, and the only way that this man could get them out of their bondage was through the blood of a lamb. And this same plan of deliverance is exactly then what God uses, that snapshot, that snapshot that was in the past. Remember when Yeshua, Jesus, was walking the earth, they had no other snapshots to look at as the New Testament was still 700, several hundred years away from being completed. So they were able to use these snapshots to preach the gospel. So this same plan of deliverance is used in the New Testament. God is not changed. He sends a man. Jesus Christ the righteous that uses blood to bring deliverance to man. Now the instruction and the purpose, another purpose, that God is giving us the tabernacle plan for that he gives to Moses over a 40-day period while Moses is atop Mount Sinai is these instructions are going to give to the man Moses another plan that stays on the same blueprint, the same pattern whereby a man, the high priest, can redeem men by bringing blood. So you should understand that there is absolutely no way 
that uh, uh, we can deviate from this. And the reason that I am so big on teaching the schoolmaster and wanting to get this legacy on our website is because it is much like looking at counterfeit money. If you have not really studied the real, you would be easily fooled by things that are very close in resemblance. But once you truly understand God's pattern, there's absolutely no way that you can be deceived by any other doctrinal teaching. So we see it is a man that brings blood to God that redeems us. It has been from the very day one. I could even take that back if you would allow me to whenever God redeems Adam, so to speak, or covers his sin. It is a man, if you want to call God that, forgive me, that sheds innocent blood that covers man with those naked bloody skins to cover his nakedness. So this is a pattern, and as we look at patterns, we will understand. I'm very sorry about the color of these slides. I, I chose a very inappropriate color, and after I'm done, I can't change it. I know how to change the color of slides, but I forgot about the color of our wall back here. All right, so in Exodus chapter 24, verse 16 and 18, and the, speaking of the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now we've been delivered from Egypt. We have marched for 47 days. We have the third three days from his glory coming down, which would be on the first Pentecost where he gives his law. Uh, we are now 50 days into the story after deliverance by a man by the blood in Egypt. And now God is called Moses up into the mount, into the cloud of glory. And this is where we're coming into the story. So after he had covered the mount for six days, Moses comes up, he calls to Moses, and Moses went in the midst of the cloud, and he was there 40 days and 40 nights. And of course, we are now realizing that there was a lot more that Moses was given. Uh, we all understand he was given the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his finger on the tablets of stone and that they came from where the temple would later be built. But he was given much, much more than that, or he wasn't slow uh, of mind. He didn't need to be there for 40 days just to receive those Ten Commandments. But God was instructing him, and this is how uh, Moses was able to write the Torah in Genesis and Exodus and up to the story where they were. All right, so in Exodus 25, verse 40, And look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. So we see where God informs Moses of all of the items of this tabernacle, and God says, it is the pattern that I gave you. Uh, today, if aliens would drop off a, a drawing of their city or a blueprint of a spaceship, and I don't believe in aliens, but let's just say that happened, uh, I'll promise you everyone would be studying it. But this is a plan given to us by the Creator, and one of the reasons that I am so dogmatic about helping people understand you've got to fall back in love with the Old Testament is because you really are missing the best that God has as far as knowledge. Jesus Christ can't even be as magnified and glorified as God wants you to do Him until you understand Him in the fullness of His Word, my opinion. So this tabernacle is where God would dwell with man, and it's interesting that as we go through this, that the tabernacle is covered with five skins. It is a house of skin. It is a place that the invisible God will come down and you will be able to visibly see Him where He will speak to you from the door. Moses received this blueprint of the tabernacle at the end of the third month. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, 
you can trace this. This is where in the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And then we see where on the third day of that, then three days later, God speaks to them from the mountaintop. We then see where Moses heads a few days later. He's there 40 days. He gets and receives the plan to build the tabernacle of God. We see in Exodus chapter 40, verse 17, And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. So what you have just experienced is you have seen that from the conception of the seed of the Word of God and to the reality of the house of skin coming forth is nine months. Is that a coincidence? That God would build a house of skin that He was going to live in that from conception until completion and visibly being able to see it was nine months. And as you study the Word of God, like I said, you will be able to understand every teaching that may just be traditional versus original. So we see that from the very conception of the plan of God, that it was to express something He would do in the future. This is a typology of what He will continually repeat. So in John 1, verse 14, we are going to the Gospel of John now, and the Word was made flesh... It moved into a house, a skin suit, and it tabernacled amongst us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what we see, John, who was in the lineage of the priest, who totally understood the temple, the tabernacle, the Tanakh, that he is not changing Genesis, nor is he changing Exodus, he is completely explaining in one-liners what it means. That the glory of God housed Himself in skin, came down and tabernacled amongst us, and we saw the invisible made visible. And the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. In John 1 and 14, verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt. This word dwelt, you can look it up in your Strong's, is tabernacled. Or the Word came to live in a tent, a tabernacle, like at the Feast of Tabernacles, among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. Now here we are going to see one of the apostles liken the teaching of tabernacle that you and I can understand that just as God is a spirit, that the way He was made known to us where we could dwell and commune with Him was through His house of skin, that He is now likening our understanding to recognize the fact we too are spirit beings and we too are just tabernacled in a house of skin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For we that are in the tabernacle, we that are in this tabernacle do groan. Somebody could say amen to that, huh? <laughs> Being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up at life. So we see where uh, they are staying on this thought process 
We, as God, are spirit beings. Now, obviously, we're not God, but we're, we're a spirit being that's invisible. But you can see me now because I have put on a skin suit. Now, regardless of what anyone teaches you, the Bible declares God is invisible and no man has seen God at any time. That's Bible teaching. And if the Bible teaches that he, Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And it would be quite confusing for anyone that has that thought process for God to then go ahead and have some other visible images at the same time when he expresses he is one. So when we understand that the invisible God fills all of the heavens and the earth, but the Shekinah, the glory, the main powerful computer bank, so to speak, and I don't know how to express it because I don't even understand it, housed itself in this tent suit for a while because his desire was to redeem our spirits, our souls. Flesh and blood can't be saved. That's why this old tabernacle is groaning. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. Now, I know we have not gotten to the tabernacle plan yet, and I've done that purposely because I am trying to express an interest or create an interest in you to understand the relevance of how this plan uh, begins to express and explain all doctrines of the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. Yes, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting in you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Now, in Revelations chapter 21, and we'll move on into the lesson, verse 3 through 7, when we get to the end of the 66 books of the Bible, and we get to the Revelation. Many people believe that the Revelation is the revelation of end-time prophecy and the revelation of the beast. But the book of Revelations opens thuswise, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he reveals himself as the olive of the top, as the creator. He reveals himself as Almighty God. And the Bible closes to those that stay in line with the temple and the blueprint of the tabernacle plan. The Bible ends with, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, so the, the rapture's over, the resurrection has taken place, the thousand-year millennium's done, the great white throne of judgment's finished, we're about to go into the Alam Haba, the eighth day, and now God is revealing to us the final plan as he takes us permanently into that world to come. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Now, that doesn't mean much to a neo-American Christian. Doesn't even interest them. But remember when this was written, all they had was the Old Testament. So they obviously understood exactly what God was saying. They weren't in the church of, I'll have it my way in three minutes with pickles and mayonnaise, no ketchup, please. They were still under the auspices of, to please God, you walked according to his word. You came under the commandments, the instruction of God. And so we see then where he says, and, God, and, and I heard a great voice saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will tabernacle with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow or crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he, singular, that sat upon the throne, said, 
Behold, I make all things new. He's about to identify himself. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Aleph and the Tav. In the Greek, the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. Now, either the person speaking is deceived, a liar, or they are telling the absolute truth. And if they are telling the truth, then what is before the beginning? And what is after the end? So the one speaking says, I make all things new. He says, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And I, no one else, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. So, the skin suit that took nine months from conception to come forth that housed the Shekinah glory of God. We have seen in the Word of God since this day, including the tabernacle of God, we have seen Him dwell in three different tabernacles, actually four. We have seen His glory in its fullness dwell in the tabernacle. We then saw His glory come down and move into the permanent structure, which was the temple. We then saw whenever Yeshua Jesus walked the earth, there was no glory in the temple any longer. There wasn't the Ark of the Covenant. There were no more miracles, so to speak, going on there. And we see where now all the fullness of the Godhead bodily then tabernacled in the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God. We're not doing away with the Son of God. You'd be out of the Word to do that. So the third place that the glory of God tabernacled is the Son of God. And the Bible is points out that it was without measure. In other words, it was, it was God in him. Now, the fourth place, now that that tabernacle has gone back to the heavenlies, that the Spirit of God houses itself in the earth, is once again in men that have been called to perform the tabernacle plan, a man that will bring people to God, that will bring blood to the people, that will bring them to God. So, you and I now we have the opportunity to become the temple of God, but in measure does God live through us. And that's pretty obvious. I didn't need to tell anyone that, did I? Okay, so in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. So we are staying on what would the foundational relevance be as to God make a house out of skin and it take nine months. Well, I believe that one would have to think that's quite a coincidence to overlook what's going on here. And I believe that will combat any false teaching that you've been given. Hey, was the tabernacle God? No, it was just a house of skin. Colossians 1 and 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness tabernacle. In whom? Christ. Colossians 2 and 9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, there was not any function, there was not any working that he did not have access, the main computer bank housed and robed itself in flesh. In John chapter 2, verse 19 through 20, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, this tabernacle, and in three days I will raise it up. If you want to know who raised him up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years this temple in the building, and will thou rear it up in three days? So we see where all throughout the scripture that the knowledge of the temple or the tabernacle 
is of utmost importance. This is why God gives us 20 times more information about this one little edifice than he does the creation of the heavens and the universe and man. And I'm going to repeat myself again that if Martians or aliens were real and they dropped off a plan to their city or a plan to their spacecraft, trust me when I tell you, men would be studying it day and night. And yet, because we lack faith in the Word of God, we overlook the opportunity that we have to know Him, and we can only know Him through His Word. So, without preaching there, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 18, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and He hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 through 9 now, we have looked at just a little thumbnail sketch of one of the hundreds of purposes of the blueprint of the tabernacle. We are now going to look where God gives to Moses on Mount Sinai this plan. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Exodus 25, 1, speaking to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that give it willingly with his heart shall you take my offering. Now the offering that we are going to give unto God are the uh, raw materials by which he can build himself a house. And I may be stretching this, but what I see in this is that, number one, you do not receive the Holy Spirit until you have a willing heart. And the only thing that we, whatever we give God, number one, he sees it as being very precious. But once we give it to him, it is then in his control, and he is going to do something with it as he begins to emulsify it with the other gifts that he's been given, the other men and women. And it is this multiplicity of giving that we become the lively stones that we talked about as we studied priesthood. We become the house of God. In the Old Testament, they were called the living threads because we collectively now are building a house of God. I'm not going to read uh, the next six verses. These will give the items because I'll be studying, you'll be studying them more in depth later. So I'm going to skip on down to verse 8. Uh, the preceding six verses explained to us about what stones and gold and material. In verse 8, and so, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now, like I said, this is the first time God is now giving this plan after uh, 2,500 years since Adam has been created. God's now coming down with this plan to let man enter into a totally different relationship. Verse 9, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even ye shall make it. So as we look at this introduction to the tabernacle, we see that God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle first. It has to be only from a willing heart. And this is God, and he is a gentleman. He is not going to tabernacle himself into anyone that is not willing. We see then that the tabernacle was a movable tent of meeting. This is exactly because it was a house of skin. This is exactly what Jesus Christ was. It's what you and I are. We also see that God wants to dwell amongst his people, the Israelites, in order to have fellowship with them. And this is the whole plan of temple and tabernacle. But then when we enter into communion with him as he comes to live in us. So we'll study the tabernacle and its furnishings and its functions. And we're going to look at it through a perspective of biblical uh, uh, dividing the word or understanding. It's called typology. 
And typology, which I've pretty much already described, is strictly a study of a person, a place, or an object in the Bible, which projects an illustration of something that will appear in the future. And as we look at scriptures that define what typology is, the first portion of typology and the purpose of it is a story that's written, that it has meaning, as I've already mentioned, then, later, and in the future. And first we see that typology is given as an example. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, now all these things happen to them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So even though when this is written, they don't have any other Bible but the Old Testament, he's telling them then, they wrote these things then for today. And so actually, we see that whenever Jesus told them and opened their understanding, that he said he began to expound to them from Moses and then all the prophets, that they all wrote of him, they were all, he, he, let, he is the tabernacle, he's all the furnishings, he's everything that can be, he's the olive and the top. Uh, the, the Hebrew language, the only language that you can liken to Hebrew language, there is no other language like it other than the uh, elemental uh, table, the table of elements. And uh, as you get into Hebrew, every letter will hold a constant as far as what it is as you mix it with the other elements. That's a whole other lesson that I'm not wise enough to get into at this point. So as a shadow, so first this typology is given as an example, then as a shadow in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that you make all things according to the pattern that you show thee in the mount. So we see where by studying the tabernacle it is not outdated. It is an example and it's also a shadow. When you approach a shadow, you know you're getting close to the object. And the way the writers of the scripture saw it was that this shadow cast itself forward. As we walk through the shadow, we will come to the object. And then another principle of typology as we continue into it is these stories are given to us as a figure. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the, the uh, service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So we have been given this pattern to understand for our future, uh, as future generations come along. Then the last one, uh, he gave it this, Hebrews 8 and 5, as a pattern. And verse 5 says, who serve unto the example and once again, this word example in this scripture means a pattern and a shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou shalt make all things according to, and that word is blueprint, showed to thee in the mount. So I, all I have tried to do here is to establish the absolute importance of us studying God's 43 consecutive chapters and see the hidden truths that we can lay our doctrines upon. Uh, the tabernacle referred to is referred to as the tabernacle of witness. This is interesting as well to me because we are called to be witnesses and of course uh, we've got law enforcement people in this room. Uh, you are absolutely useless if you weren't a witness. Hearsay isn't worth a lot, is it? Hardest thing to get out of anyone is just the facts. No, no, I don't need the story. I just need the facts. And when you get really good, you'll be able to give that to me in two sentences. And so what we see is, is we see by just giving the facts, the only way I can do that is to have been either an eyewitness and a hearer firsthand or one or the other. But I was there. So 
it's referred to as a tabernacle of witness. Now, why is that important? Well, if you can pull up what we've already been taught in a few moments ago, uh, in Numbers chapter 17, verse 7, and Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. So I'm giving you this reference. And then we'll jump to the New Testament. Acts chapter 7, verse 44. Our fathers had a tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. Why would they write that? Because a witness is a person who can give a first-hand account of an event that they saw or heard of what took place. So what is it that they witnessed at this tabernacle? They witnessed that the glory of God came down and lived in it. They witnessed that God himself spoke to them from the door of the tabernacle. So this is what is being recorded. Look, this is not a fable. This is not just some hearsay story. This is recorded by bona fide witnesses that we have taken their testimony that we have passed down. Now let's, let's make that relevant to today. In Acts chapter 5, verse 30 through 32 in the New Testament, the God of our fathers raised up Yeshua. It's actually Yehoshua. Whom you slew and hung on a tree. Him hath God ex exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also, I had to put this scripture in there. So many when you look up witnesses. And so also is the Holy Ghost to whom God hath given to them that obey him. What you just saw Peter say was, I was there when he was crucified. I was there as he walked the earth. I was there when he walked on water. I was there as he went through his hardship. I am a first account eyewitness and hearer of him. I handled him. I held him. Everything that we're telling you is true. I am a witness. And by the way, all these that have received the Holy Ghost, this thing that's in them is a witness also that he has been resurrected. I like that. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Now once again, this priest John that is used is not changing the book of Genesis. He is the one that wrote the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. He's wanting everyone to understand. We found Him. In the, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the Word of life. And it goes on to say, of these things we are witnesses. So, we see where the, this tabernacle, when God, the children of God referred to it, they understood exactly... Here, here, let me say it like this. Our testimony today, our witness today has not changed. God built a tabernacle where he would speak to them from the door, from a house of skin, that they could witness that was God. Are you with me out there? Amen. And he's come through the Holy Spirit that you and I can now have the exact same witness that they had then through the Holy Ghost. No man can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Ghost. So 1 Peter 5 and 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and I'm also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So these are just a couple of scriptures I've chosen to share with you that as we look at the old snapshot, there's no new thing under the sun. So it gives greater relevance to what they are speaking in the New Testament. Exodus chapter 25, going back to the tabernacle plan, verses 8 through 10. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Now, this will just... 
And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt, I'm in Exodus 25, verse 16 and 17. Now, this speaks to me so loudly, it just makes me excited. And thou shalt put into the ark of the testimony, which I shall give thee. <laughs> and let me read that again. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony, which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. And then you're going to put it on the top of that ark. Now, what is exciting about that is this. When you study this, number one, God has got Moses on the top of the mountain. He's about to give him over 40 consecutive chapters of instruction on how to build this house. If you're in this congregation this evening and you are looking at the screen, you are looking at the tabernacle, a rendition of the tabernacle of God. You see the outer court. You see the only gate of entrance. It is facing east. You walk through the tribe of Judah and Levites that camped around it, along with the other tribes making up all 12 tribes. This thing is the center focus of their walk. It only has the one door that you can enter in. When you enter in, you then come up to the brazen altar where sacrifices of blood are given, which that blood by a man will be taken in to the house of God. You then walk past the baptismal tank of the laver. There is repentance. There is water baptism. You are headed now to the house of the Spirit. Blood, water, Spirit. Only three, these three agree in one. But when we get to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one. There's a difference between agreeing in one and being one. So we see where, as we walk through this tabernacle plan, I've already told you there's so many things going on I can't possibly. So to stay focused, here's what I want to get to. Without getting into the dimensions of the ark and the magic of the ark, so to speak, I'm trying to bring us to this. So God tells Moses, he gives him, he says, I'm going to have you build me a house. I want you to listen to this. Because you don't think like this. I don't think like this. Man does not think like this. Those of you who got several are building houses and just moved into houses and you went and you had a blueprint drawn, let me bet that you did not start with your bedroom and then tell the designer how to work his way out. What I'm trying to get to is then when you look at the first thing God does, the first thing God does, He says, now I'm going to build a place to dwell with you. Oh, but by the way, before I tell you all about the laws and the instruction and all this stuff, you need to know how to cover it up. Because I'm going to give you the plan of the box to put it in. And then, before I ever give you all the instruction and I give you the plan, not only am I going to tell you about the ark to put it in, but I'm going to give you something I call the mercy seat to cover these laws and instructions with so I don't have to look at them, so you don't have to be judged by them. And as long as you'll bring that blood to this ark top, I can redeem anyone that happens to break one of those hidden laws. But don't ever take the lid off the ark because you're going to have to answer to my law. And so what we're beginning to understand is, so God does not by accident, He does not by He is revealing His love for you. You didn't reach for God. You thought you sought God. But you didn't reach for God. God says, I chose you. 
You did not choose me. We are in this room. You are listening to this podcast because the love of God in eternity, before He ever created the heaven and the earth, before He ever gave the 613 laws, He had a plan for a mercy seat, which was Christ Jesus the righteous, the pre propitiation for sin is what he's called in the New Testament, which means mercy seat, that could cover all of our mistakes. And God wanted you to understand that on his throne room, he was reaching out to man. That's the love of God reaching out. And he's going to give you the plan for his house from the throne room out. But the only way you can approach Him is by faith in that blueprint and you walk from the door in to where He's called you to. First John 4 and 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the mercy seat for our sin. I'm not encouraging sin and someone said sounds like you're giving a license to sin. I did not want to disappoint them. I never had a license to sin and I did quite well. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if, if you're needing to give me a license to sin, don't waste your time. I never had to buy that license. I just knew how to sin. What we are giving here is we are giving an understanding that God understands our flesh. And if he hated us and despised us because of the way we are in our flesh, he would have never reached out with such a plan of mercy and love that is for anyone that can believe that he's bigger than their sin. And if you won't worry about your sin, you'll just worry about following the plan to get to God's house. God will give you the power to make your sin not be that enjoyable anymore. And before long, you will have addicted yourself to the things of God. Now, so... The word propitiation is used three times in the New Testament. Do a word study. It is the mercy seat of God. This is what Christ is called. So, without getting deeper into the lesson, when we look at this first thing that God gives us the plan for before He ever starts building the house, He gives us the plan. Before He ever gives Him the law, He gives Him the plan for a two-pieced item to hold that law. And it's going to be the ark, but the mercy seat is the covering. And it is the mercy seat that appeases the wrath of God. So from the very beginning, the very conception, when God said, I want to dwell with you, Cody, you know, I used to think, oh, I sought the Lord and he was so lucky I found him. And, but, but the truth of the matter is, I recognize now he had been calling our name all along. We just finally got in a position. We got low enough to where we could hear that still small voice. God is love. This whole plan, this whole book is to express to us. I do not, nor will I ever understand, and I think uh, our teacher, Sean uh, Alexander, brought this to us Sunday, either the meeting or, or his teaching. I will never understand why the same incident will turn somebody into an absolute hero, and that same incident in someone else's life will turn them into a zero. I'll never understand why somebody that loses a limb can go on and be a triathlon and another person will become a drunk. It is the same incident that happens in both people's lives. But that is exactly what the Bible shares with us. This is why if we can get people that have been desecrated and destroyed and downtrodden and in depression into the presence of God, 
to where they will understand that he wants to recreate in them. He's not going to make their limb grow back. I mean, he could. We have to pay the penalty for everything in life that we do. But what he will do is he'll take us to Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, and he will give us peace and joy that go beyond our circumstances and raise us up, sit with him in heavenly places to where nothing shall be impossible. Yeah, let me get back to the lesson. So this tabernacle is actually the picture of God's approach to man. He is reaching from the mercy seat for, whatsoever, for whosoever will. And this is called grace. God's grace, and I've said it a hundred times, God's grace gives man a plan whereby if he will through faith work God's plan. You see, grace alone will not save you. The first place the word grace is used, and I'm going to get it in this teaching series as well, is when God used it and Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And grace in the eyes of God gave Noah a plan to build an ark. That was something else that should be studied because that is another blueprint, an item whom God himself gave us a blueprint. Three floors, one door. And so what we see is, we see that if Noah had not have operated in faith because it had never rained, to the completing of the ark and the building of the ark, God's grace was in vain. Because it really, even though it was God's grace that gave unmerited favor to show Noah beforehand how he could be saved from something called death, had Noah not walked in the plan of God through faith, Noah wouldn't have made it through the flood. This is exactly what this is. This is after the flood. Now God's entering into a totally different relationship with man and His grace is going to give unto us as we... Well, I don't know how many lessons. You'll get bored and quit showing up by the time I'm done on these lessons. But, but as we walk through the tabernacle, tabernacle teaching, we're going to continually see a loving God that's doing everything He can to express His grace, hopefully, hoping that it will seduce you into recognizing He loves you and you'll come to know Him. And the only way you can come to know Him is to walk through this plan. Now, as He's reaching for man through grace, and we're saved by grace through the operation of faith. I have to activate my faith. But that's what, when I reach back to God, my faith is now allowing me to come boldly before the throne of God, and the only way I can get there is to walk through the door. So I start from the last thing he teaches on to get to what God's most interested in to get me to the throne room where he is. I hope that uh, something said here tonight will pique your interest. I think you're going to find this a very invigorating lesson to your faith.